When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Ariana Bravo and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen takes home his first Monaco win after a strong controlled drive from start to finish, which now also sees him take the lead in the Drivers' Championship. Today was over before it started for Charles Leclerc after he was unable to start the race due to drive shaft issues, which effectively promoted Max Verstappen to pole, although he did still have to start in the P2 position on the grid. But off the line, despite Valtteri Bottas making a better start, Verstappen held the lead and went on to bring home the victory. We ended with a rather exciting podium, with Carlos Sainz putting in an excellent performance to finish P2, taking his first Ferrari podium, and he was joined by former teammate Lando Norris, who drove a brilliant race for McLaren today, holding off advances by Sergio Perez to take the final spot on the podium. Perez may have qualified P9, but he managed to cross the line in P4 after a fantastic drive and strategy choice by Red Bull, which saw him going long on the softs and overcutting Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly and Lewis Hamilton. And with those results, Red Bull have also taken the lead of the Constructors' Championship, and it is the first time since the 2013 Brazilian Grand Prix that Red Bull leads both championships. Meanwhile, for Mercedes, it was a disastrous day. Despite a strong start from Bottas, everything unraveled when he came into pit and the front right could not be removed as the wheel nut had machined onto the axle, and ultimately, Bottas was forced to retire. It was also a poor day on the other side of the garage for Hamilton, who started sixth after Charles's retirement, but ended up finishing P7. Hamilton was the first of the grid to pit with the hopes of undercutting Gasly, but instead, once all the pit stops played out, he found himself not only still behind Gasly, but he was also jumped by Vettel and Perez. It was a brilliant day for Aston Martin with both cars ending in the points, Sebastian Vettel finishing P5 and Lance Stroll P8. 
Vettel had an incredibly strong drive today that saw him overcutting his rivals and going will-to-will with Gasly, while Stroll started on the hards and stayed out until lap 58, where he switched to the softs and was able to maintain that position until the very end. Despite late pressure from Antonio Giovinazzi on the hards, Esteban Ocon on the mediums managed to hold on to P9, and Giovinazzi took that final point spot, bringing home the first points of the 2021 season for Alfa Romeo. Outside of the top 10, we had Kimi Raikkonen P11 and Daniel Ricciardo in P12, who had another difficult day made worse by being lapped by his teammate. Fernando Alonso was P13, followed by the Williams of George Russell and Nicholas Latifi, with Yuki Tsunoda finishing P16, ahead of the Hasses of Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. Today, I have Luke Smith, Autosports Formula 1 reporter, Jess McFadden, Director of Digital Strategy for Motorsport Network, and Autosports Technical Director, Jake Boxelleg. Monaco isn't desperately exciting, as we've just discussed off-air, but today was made a little bit more interesting by the rather heartbreaking drama for Charles before the race even started. And then obviously it was a rough day for Mercedes. So I want to kick things off like I usually do with a rating out of 10. I don't have high hopes for this, but we'll go to it anyway. (laughs) Jess, you can go first as you look into the distance. Do you know what? This is actually quite hard for me to rate. Um, I typically slash controversially, as Luke well knows from our Is It Just Me podcast, um, I'm not a massive fan of Monaco. I don't particularly enjoy a uh, kind of lacklustre event on a Sunday. I I love watching uh, racing and be that good strategy plays or uh, kind of uh, overtakes and on-track action. That's kind of where I I like to, to, to spend my Sundays and Monaco just doesn't deliver on that. It's a it's an amazing venue and I think maybe for me it has actually been a case of absence makes the heart grow fonder because watching uh, the sessions this weekend and seeing the cars you know fly around Monaco it does it, it does do things to you it's a very special venue um but as you as we've said it, it didn't it didn't deliver in terms of racing but it has delivered in terms of um it being a pivotal event in the season and for that reason I find it actually quite hard to rate because uh on the racing side of things it was pretty dull maybe like a five out of ten um but but how important it's going to be to the season and the kind of the narrative that it's now given to the season is actually quite exciting so it's kind of it's hard it's 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 one of those races where you know, we're probably going to look back on this race and go, was this the moment that Bottas fell out of the Drivers' Championship, where Max started opening up a gap, um, where we saw chinks in Lewis Hamilton's armour, um, as we have done in previous seasons? So, I don't know. I, very convoluted way of saying, <laughs> did Monaco deliver in in racing? No. In <laughs> in in overall in overall excitement for the season. Yes, so I'm so conflicted. I'm very conflicted right now. I don't really know what to do. Yeah, we can hear how conflicted you are. JBL, do you have more of a concise rating or are you also (laughs) conflicted? How rude. Well, here's the the thing. I usually usually sit on the fence for this kind of thing, but I'm going to go down the middle and say solid five out of ten. On track action, yeah, as Jess already said, it wasn't particularly great, but... And I'm sure we'll go into this over the course of the podcast. There was a lot of strategic decisions, elements to the race, which I think add another sort of level to it. Um, Obviously, it's not something that 
shows up particularly well on TV, but I think it was very much a, a racing by numbers kind of race. Um, and it did make a lot of drivers races and uh, for others it, it completely ruined them. So yeah, five out of 10. Okay. So five out of 10, Jess, you did say five out of 10 for the on track action as well. Luke, are you echoing the five out of 10? Yeah, I think either a four or a five. I think it was a bit of a, a bit of a slow burner. Um, I think that we, yeah, we saw some interesting strategy plays, which was good because it kind of gave it something because I think particularly as we got towards the end of that first in, I was kind of thinking, oh God, if they all pit and all go onto the hard and all stay in the same order, then what's the point of it, basically? And it was, uh, yeah, it was quite frustrating when you would see Hamilton get up on the back of Gasly, get within a second, and then drop a second and a half back. You saw Science make up time to Verstappen, then drop back, do the same with Bottas as well. So, yeah, that was that was a little bit frustrating. I think that we've always got to recognise, I think, the the brilliance of these drivers racing around Monaco and how impressively skilled that is. But in terms of racing spectacle, yeah, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant today to be honest, but yeah, I would echo, I think what the other two have said that this is going to be a very important race. I think within this title race, I think we're going to look at this as a race that brought Red Bull maybe back into it after perhaps not being there so much through the early part of this season. And yeah, I think for that reason, I think we're going to look at it quite significantly, maybe come the end of the year. But as an actual sort of just in the without looking at anything else, just looking at the race itself, I would go four or five. Can I have a four and a half? Is that allowed? Yeah, we'll make the exception. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. The good measure of a race is how how much were you on your phone? Like how what what yeah. percentage of the race were you on your phone for? If it's I think if it's over 50 percent of the race, then it's bad and i think there was more entertainment on twitter than there was on <laughs> on the racetrack so it's some a bit, of it's us one of those are working reasons, during the race jess yeah some of us are transcribing <laughs> well, and writing articles well, but you say it, actually, about excuse me excuse me my job is twitter so <laughs> you can't argue with save that, that one <laughs> I've, I've got nothing i've got nothing first of all let's start with the start race as we've said it is a bit of a slow burner today and I mean, it was a slow burner, but then it didn't end up actually burning into anything anyway. Um, but let's just, first of all, clear up what went wrong at the start with Charles. We know that he has some sort of Monaco curse. He's failed to finish here in both F1 and F2, but today he didn't even start the race. Um, absolutely gutting after getting the pole yesterday, even though it was in upsetting situation as well with then crashing. But we saw him crash yesterday. We all wondered... Will the gearbox need replacing? Ultimately, Ferrari came out and said, no, looks fine. We'll confirm in the morning. Confirmed this morning. All good. And then we had that dreaded radio message when Charles was on his way to the grid. Um, clearly something wrong. But they've come out since and said that it's not related to the gearbox. JBL, can you just shed some light more on what it is that went wrong then? So apparently, according to Ferrari, it was a, a problem with the rear left drive shaft. We don't know particularly what the problem was. Obviously, they say it wasn't a problem with the gearbox. I think that's a little bit of PR spin because had they changed it, that issue wouldn't have happened. Leclerc would have started P6 and you know maybe would have got P4, P5, that kind of thing. As such, they didn't change it and he got nothing. So I think that's a little bit of PR spin. Uh, and I don't really understand either, to their credit, how a uh, an impact with the wall, the right rear tyre, and lots of people have asked this, would affect the left drive shaft. I'm still trying to think about that. I need to look at the crash again. But 
I, I don't really know what's going on there. Had they changed it, it would have been fine. He wouldn't have won the race, but he would have got something for his efforts. Um, but as it stands, it's just it's a weird Ferrari mess that they like to drop on us about once a year or so. And Luke, you have written an article this evening as well about the fact that Matthew Bonotto has come out and said that it's not related to the crash, definitely. They're not 100% sure yet. Can you explain what it is he's saying in response to this then? Is it is he ruling out that it's related to the crash or is this a bit more of just trying to sort of put a little bit of a cloud in front of everything so that it doesn't look so bad that they didn't switch the gearbox? Yeah, so his, his precise wording was it could be unrelated or maybe unrelated. So it's kind of a, a disclaimer there, which us as journalists, <laughs> very important to to um, to highlight. Otherwise, you get teams often saying, well, we didn't say that. So just to just to be sure in case anyone from Ferrari is listening. And um, yeah, but then he did sort of go on in the interview and he was asked like, well, basically, should you change the gearbox? And he said, well, if it's not related to the gearbox, therefore it didn't really matter whether we changed it or not. So it's, yeah, it's quite an interesting approach from Ferrari. And I think that... It, it was interesting that on Saturday they were so strong and Matir Bonotto was so strong himself saying we will not gamble, we will not risk throwing away all of these points to keep him on pole. We'd rather start sixth and know that car gets to the finish than risk starting on pole and maybe not. And uh, yeah, I think when we heard those messages on uh, just before the start, it was like, oh man, like, it really felt like they sort of missed a trick there and that had gone basically gone against what they were saying. But it sounds like they didn't check the drive shaft which is something that Bonotto acknowledged during his his interview on Sky. And I think, yeah, Ferrari, I think they're just going to be wondering how on earth they let this opportunity slip through their fingers. And obviously, very difficult when you get pole, but the car has crashed and, yeah, okay, you need to try and bring yourself back together. But this is a weekend where, really, they should have put a huge dent into McLaren's uh, points and come away comfortably third in the Constructors' Championship. As it turned out, McLaren only lost three points on Ferrari in the standings, and McLaren are still two points ahead. So it is a big opportunity miss for them. I think hindsight is a beautiful thing, and they'll look back and go, yeah, we absolutely should have changed it and should have been safe. Um, But yeah, I think for the time being, they're just really trying to get to the bottom of what exactly it was. But I think they are quite clear that their initial findings, that there was no serious damage to the gearbox, which was followed up by another check on Sunday morning echoing that, I think they're very much sticking to that. So, yeah, I think hindsight is wonderful. They'll probably go, okay, yeah, we should have changed it, but they won't want to, particularly in public, look like they've dropped the ball and not done something they maybe should have. I've seen a lot of people discussing that gamble, actually, of whether they should have changed it or not. Obviously, they've said that this may not be related to the gearbox, but if it does end up being related to it. Jess, do you think that this was a gamble that was worth taking? Because, you know, if it had paid off, could have ended up with Charles bringing home a lot of points and having a good day. But obviously it didn't and he didn't start the race. Yeah, I was actually quite, I was quite surprised that they ran the car as is. I think if you look at the the crash, and I think this was said uh, on coverage as well, um, a crash like that, it's usually a slam dunk, replace the parts. Um, and they chose they chose not to because they said it was fine. And, and, the, and the, the, the difference is, is that we used to have Sunday warm-up 
um, before a race where they could kind of like put the car out and fix any niggles before they had to get to the grid. But we don't have that anymore. So they were going based on on data um, and obviously checking the checking the parts and the connector connections and all. The, and I'm, I mean, JBL is a technical guy, so I'm not going to try and uh, s- uh, go too far into it because uh, that's that's not my bag. But um, uh, the point is that they didn't actually get to put any load through the car. So um, the, it could have all looked fine, but as soon as you start putting these cars under some serious strain, things break. Like we know that they, they, they might look quite robust, but they are very delicate uh, feats of engineering. So it's it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to say really. And I think, you know, they'd be they'd be damned if they did and damned if they didn't. Um, because if, if Charles, I mean, obviously changing, as JBL said, changing the gearbox would maybe have allowed them to, uh, then also fix anything else that was wrong with the car. So they might have noticed that the, the drive shaft had damage or, um, wasn't potentially, uh, uh, operating optimally so they might have been able to catch that but they might have also missed it i mean again i don't know maybe jbl will will refute that and go absolutely not because if they're if they're fixing everything then they can fix that part of the car too uh, and they would have seen it or they ought to have seen it it brings me back to when you see uh, like we had the likes of uh, max verstappen out last year where um they you know they were fixing was it was it austria where he he binned it and uh they were they fixed his car on the grid and it, it just goes to show like um like how how amazing these these uh, these engineers and these mechanics that work in Formula One, but I don't I, th- I think it would be I think it would be unfair. I think uh, you know if it was my team, I probably wouldn't have risked it. In hindsight, if he'd have you know had a very comfortable race today, having taken the penalty, maybe people would have criticised them for not taking the risk. I'm not sure because when you have a damage situation like that as you say, you want to finish the race. You don't want to have a, what was a pretty embarrassing Sunday morning for Ferrari, um, which which I know the fact that Carlos Sainz managed to secure P2 for them, which obviously was a brilliant result hmm. um, and a great result considering how uh, despondent Carlos was uh, yesterday to have, having not been challenging for pole um, is a great result, but it is overshadowed by this glaring mistake it feels like a glaring mistake so I'm not sure it's I think it's hard to judge them um but I wonder I wonder if if there are going to be quite a a few question marks at the internally within Ferrari as to what does what did this risk mean why did they make this risk yeah it's a really tricky gamble and I can see why they might have been tempted to take the risk but as we've said it this has ended quite embarrassingly for them and absolutely gutting for Charles again at his home race to have a result like this. But hats off to him for sticking around for the whole race. I'm sure you guys noticed that as well. He stayed around, celebrated with the team, which, you know, takes a lot considering he had such a disappointing day to be looking up at the podium where you could have been and cheer on your teammate. But let's now move on to our race winner, Max Verstappen. Another win and not just any win, it's a Monaco win. And from the very start of the race, he was in control. He was not going to let Bottas pass him off the line. And although Bottas did stay relatively close for a little while, as we've said, everyone who did get close ended up leveling off in this race today. Max was completely in control today, wasn't he, Luke? He was, yeah. I think this was just a classic Max Verstappen performance, really. Just not a foot wrong at no point did he look under any pressure. He didn't get flustered or flapped or anything like that. Uh, Monaco is a track that he's not 
typically done very well at in the past. He'd never been on the podium in Monaco. So as they came through to the um, sort of podium holding room before they go upstairs to meet uh, Prince Albert and the the uh, princess, uh, he actually turns to Lando Norris and he said, I've never been in here before. And Lando was like, well, really? Because you just assume it that with 50-odd podiums that Max has got, Monaco would be one of them. But but no. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, it was a brilliant display. I think that the concern that Red Bull would have had going into that race after what happened to Leclerc would be that what if Lewis Hamilton stayed within Max's window for pitting? Max pitted first, came out behind Lewis, and then Mercedes just used Lewis to hold him up and let Bottas get ahead. And I think that was pre-race maybe what Mercedes was getting quite excited about, that now Leclerc was out of the picture, it had this opportunity. And obviously that didn't play out at all. We saw that Lots of the midfield runners went for the undercut, meaning that Max was, I think, one of the last drivers to pit, actually, from the point-scoring drivers. So it was uh, it was quite a bold strategy by Red Bull, but it kind of just fell in their lap. That In the end, they didn't need to worry too much about it. They just got him in, let him do the job, in control. And it's kind of hard to say a lot else about that display because it was so straightforward and fuss-free. And I mean that entirely to mm-hmm. Max Verstappen's credit. Um, but yeah, really dominant and in the lead now of the Drivers' Championship for the very first time in his career. So I think it's really exciting. Uh, Yeah, but it was a result that I think you really needed after maybe a couple of weekends where you see a few missed opportunities. It was a very dominant drive from him. And as we've said, this swing in the championship could really be a pivotal moment in this season. But how much of a pivotal moment do you actually realistically think that this could be because we have seen Mercedes and Lewis taking a step back before but they always seem to bounce back of course this year is a bit different given how close things are but do you think that this is something that's going to make Mercedes actually a bit worried and make them think okay we really do have to do more now or do you think that ultimately Mercedes will go back regroup and come back as strong as ever like they often do JBL what do you think I'm not as convinced that it is. I think that what we've had is we've had five uh, races where it has been close, but I think despite the noises from pre-season testing, I think still think that Mercedes is probably the best placed team. I think we're going to have situations later in the championship where the tracks are going to play into their hands a little bit more. Um, you know, especially around the mid-season kind of period. Towards the end of the season, it might be a little bit of a Red Bull extravaganza. They're always good at Mexico and those sorts of circuits. But uh, we should be coming up to a glut of circuits where Mercedes have always been really, really good. And, and sure, Hamilton's behind in the Drivers' Championship now, but I, I, to his performance today definitely skews it. It's still really, really early days. And um, as I'll get, I'm sure I'll go into a little bit later, Mercedes took the race out of their own hands a little bit today. If they get it right over the next few rounds, I don't think they'll have anything to worry about. But, you know, it, we know what their management culture's like. They're very willing to go into the do the hard yards look deep into things and go okay why have we done this why have we done this you know their factory must be like some kind of uh mortuary or something where they've done all of their <laughs> inquests post-race red bull will fight them for it and i think verstappen will you know give it a good go but i don't see them being beaten sorry guys I think you only have to look at previous winners around here to see that this is not a Mercedes track. They And they yeah. are well aware of that. They they don't uh, get on well with tight twisty because of their long wheelbase concept. It's just not as agile. Um, so, you know, we, it's not a surprise that we're not seeing Mercedes do so well around here. I think in previous years where they have won, it's just because they've been so far ahead 
um, that they've been able to snatch wins, but not that many in recent in recent years. So um, it's kind of a bit like the case of they they kind of turn up to these tracks like Singapore, um, where they don't expect to do particularly well. Um, so as JBL said, I don't think we're, we're going into a, a glut of races that suit the car. Yeah. So um, as much as it keeps things alive, it keeps things exciting. It's obviously closer than it has been at previous uh, stages in the season. Um, uh, sorry, it, 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 based on previous seasons. At this point in the season, it's a lot closer than it has been. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think we can pin everything on this. But mm-hmm. in terms of the drivers' championship, I think that's that's where we're going to see. Um, and not just for the win, not the title, but the likes of Bottas and Perez and uh, Lando, where they're going to finish. I think this, th- this, the fact that Bottas walks away from this race with nil point, if we're going to uh, go on Eurovision theme, that's going to be what hurts him a lot. Yeah, hard pill to swallow. And we're going to delve into Mercedes' misfortune a bit later on. But staying on Red Bull for a second, as you mentioned, Perez there. He qualified P9, effectively bumped up to P8 at the race start. But then that overcut really worked for him. He came across the line at P4 ahead of Lewis. He had some ups and downs while he's been settling to it settling into Red Bull. But today was a pretty solid day for him, wasn't it, Luke? I mean, I know Monaco is an exception, as we've said. And, you know, you can't read too much into it and extrapolate it across the season. But a solid day for him. Yeah, definitely. And I think that Monaco being the confidence track on the F1 calendar, and we've seen so many of the new guys moving teams, Daniel Ricciardo being the absolute perfect example over this Monaco weekend, really struggling with that. I thought Checo actually did a a pretty good job this weekend. Qualifying, yeah, wasn't good. He said afterwards that he had some major traffic on his final lap. That would have cost him three places, he reckons. So he would have started six. That would have put him in the in the mix a little bit more. But then we saw a sort of classic Perez tyre whisperer display where he was able to keep those soft tyres alive nice. Everyone else came in before him and then just really push and push and push to get that overcut and jump those cars and come away with a really good result. And yeah, he was sniffing at the end towards getting a podium, uh, hunting down Lando Norris, but Monaco being Monaco, he was never going to get past. But it was, I thought, actually a pretty decent display from him. And yeah, he is sort of slowly settling into the team. He is taking a bit of time to get up to speed, as they all are. But I think weekends like this where, okay, it didn't go perfectly, but he still came away in fourth place, which is a a pretty good result, all things considered, and has actually helped Red Bull get into the lead of the Constructors' Championship. I think that's a really, really good job. And I think that it's going to be really interesting this year. I mean, we look at the Constructors' Championship, there's a point between the two teams now. Max and Lewis, that's going to go on all season without question. But I'm really curious to see how the Bottas versus Perez fight goes on all year because there's only three points between them now. And admittedly, yeah, Bottas has had two DNFs this year. He's struggled more with that. But Checo has been sort of quietly picking up some nice points. So, so yeah, so I think they could be pretty pleased, actually. I think that it's a, it's a tricky period. Monaco, Baku, their tracks where you need absolute confidence in the car to be sort of at one with it and able to push. So it may not really be until France, Austria, that we see Perez really start to hit his stride a little bit more. But I think, yeah, this was a really good weekend where in the race he was in a situation he hadn't qualified particularly well. He needed to fight back and he did absolutely everything that was in his power to do so. So, yeah, full credit for that and has played his role today in in getting them back in the lead of the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, he's played that role that Red Bull wanted him there to play, to be that supportive second driver. And yeah, hats off to him for doing it and a good strategy call from Red Bull there. 
Looking at our podium again, Carlos Sainz was P2. He was promoted to starting second after his teammate obviously didn't start the race. At one point, he was cutting into Verstappen's lead. That then leveled off. But a really good outcome for him today, his first Ferrari podium. We've said from the get-go that he's one of these new teammates that's really settled into things better than others. A good outcome for Carlos Sainz today, wasn't it, Jess? I'm a massive Carlos Sainz fan. For a lot of his career, he was highly underrated um, and was only just starting to see uh, the potential. You know, we saw glimmers of it with uh, McLaren, but I think we've, we're really, uh, well, today at least, we got a real uh, showing of, of what he can do. Um, I mean, I, but with that said, I don't want to take it away from him, but it is Monaco and he did start <laughs> in the right position. So all he had to do was manage his tyres, not screw up a pit stop and come home. So... Mm-hmm. As much as, you know, it's it's great. It's great for Ferrari, especially after what happened with Charles. Um, it's not exactly like he had some kind of storming race. I think he he, he finished where he should have finished. Um, still a great result. Don't want to take it away from him. But yeah, I don't think it's 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 kind of uh, just a, yeah, well done. You brought the car home. So, uh, and the other guys might disagree with that, but... I think it is just a case of, of, of finishing where you started. So do we have any disagreement? Yeah, Luke? I think I think the oh, whole weekend has been Yeah. Sorry, Jazz. I think the whole weekend has no, been No, I, I said that. I was I was anticipating it. So no, of course, of course. It's uh, yeah, it's been I think the whole weekend has been fantastic and I think that we saw the disappointment Carlos Sainz had after qualifying that he was only fourth yeah. and he'd play second in all three practice sessions and I thought that was really interesting that yeah, if you'd have said to Ferrari that they'd be annoyed at only being fourth in qualifying then you think crikey, something crazy's happened here. But that shows I mean just the progress that Ferrari have made this year. They've done an excellent job. And I think for science as well, actually going into qualifying, I, I actually expected him to beat Leclerc because he'd been that good all the way through practice and everything like that. And he just looked a, a little bit more sort of hooked up and on it. And uh, yeah, I think that, okay, yeah, in the race, he did just kind of do what he needed to do. He brought it home, fair enough. But around Monaco, I think that's what's to be expected, really. And, and Carlos spoke earlier in the weekend about how much he's had to adjust his driving style this weekend because he got into the car. Obviously, he's not been there for two years in Monaco. And he said it was so different to what he knew with McLaren that he had to change all of his references he had to adjust his driving style he had to make so many changes but he was very adaptable and he was able to do that really really well and I thought that was a massively to his credit that he achieved that so yeah I mean finishing with only a position gain and that was because your teammate didn't start you might say well whatever but um no all things considered I think actually a really good drive a really good weekend performance from Carlos and I think that deserves full credit for it. I hope that our colleague, uh, Alex Kalanorkas, in his driver ratings, I hope it's a 10 out of 10 for Carlos. I think it'll be a nine because Leclerc outqualified him, but technicalities, whatever. 10 out of 10 for me. JBL, is it a 10 out of 10 for you? I don't know if it was a 10 out of 10. It was a very, very good performance. And if I was trying to sort of keep an eye on the lap times between him and Valtteri Bottas at the start of the race, and it started to get to the point where they were both running in the very low 116s during that first period of the race before Bottas stopped and and Sainz was just taking tiny little bits of time out of him throughout the entire stint to the point where I think when Bottas pitted it was about a two little bit less than a two second gap so I, I honestly believe that you know Sainz had Bottas's stop gone fine and Sainz you know continued and stopped when he did I think he would have got the overcut anyway so 
you know, he finished P2. I think he would have finished P2 if Bottas was still in the race, for example, which would have made it look a lot better than than it is. I th- I think solid A. He's had a he had a very good day. Um, just kept it really calm. Um, the only sort of like blot, not really a blot on his copybook. It was just the way it was. Um, when he was catching up to Verstappen, you know, he got within three seconds, and then his tires started to grain, and so that took him, you know, about four seconds further out of the equation uh, and by the time that had subsided he was 7.5 seconds off but by then it was like a little bit too late um so i think that was just sort of like the way it was um and he couldn't really have done much more but i think it, yeah it was a really good race from him and of course he was joined on the podium by lando norris who came home at p3 we got another show of that little bromance between the two of them in the interviews as well. Given we weren't expecting McLaren to perform well at this track, it's been a pretty brilliant outcome for them, especially Lando, who's now back up to third in the championship standings as well. So he should be feeling pretty chuffed of himself, right, Jess? It was actually, it was interesting as well because uh, yesterday... He only did one run in Q uh, in Q three, um, which is, is was kind of unusual, but it meant that he he secured the position that he did, um, and actually turned out to be quite a quite a good tactical move. But I think yeah, today it just showed. There were, I guess the only if we're going to put a black and white mark on him, there was a couple of times where he was exceeding. I mean, I can't believe we were talking about track limits. Yeah. I know what in Monaco when there are walls. But here we are. Um, I mean, F1 in 2021. I think if, if Luke doesn't at least write, like, what, five tweets about track limits, then it's not job. been a race in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I kid, I love my job, but that element of it I dislike. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe, but again, like, I don't know. I feel like that's ridiculous. So maybe we can't really put that against his name. But I think he's... It's really exciting to watch him mature as a driver. Um, And something clearly happened over the winter break that has unleashed this um this 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 potential. And I think, you know, I think even some people at McLaren are quite surprised at how much he can get out of the car and where he can put the put the car, um, even when they are potentially on more of a back foot. So yeah, I thought he did a great job. I mean, obviously, he came under a lot of pressure from Sergio yeah. Perez today. I mean, as we said, it's Monaco, and there's not really many opportunities for overtaking. So even though uh, Perez was within DRS range uh, a couple of times on his hunting hunting down of uh, Lando, there wasn't really ever probably going to be a, a point where he could overtake unless Lando made a mistake. And I guess that's the thing. Like, even, Lando is still very young driver um and i think around monaco where you have to be alert on a street circuit um he could he he could have made a mistake he very very and on the radio you know he asked for quiet he needed to concentrate um and so where the overtake move might not have been there but i guess the pressure and letting that get to you psychologically was very very much a, a real threat to to Norris today, and he brought it home. And like like we said, like we we didn't expect McLaren to do very well around here, and and yet he's taking away his second piece of silverware uh, for the for the for the season, which is just it's just fab, and again keeps that title between Ferrari and McLaren really spicy. Um, so yeah, a really really good day for McLaren and Lando. Well, one side of the garage 
Yes, which is what we're going to go on to now. But hats off to Lando. I'm really excited to see him continue developing with McLaren. I'm glad he's signed that new deal because I think that they work so well together. But the other side of the garage, Daniel, what a tough day for him. I mean, he loves this track. He's a race winner here. He was lapped by Lando. Painful to watch. Now, what what went wrong for him today? And also going forward, of course, he's going to probably want to forget today. But what is it that he's going to need to do to to really improve and get his head back in the game and find a way to work better with this car, Luke? I think that's the question that they've got to answer as soon as possible, really. And I think that's been a question that they've needed to answer for, what, five races now? I think that, yeah, it's not been a happy start to life with McLaren. I think that Ricardo came into the team. We maybe weren't expecting him to be sort of absolutely dominant team leader and completely blow the doors off Lando. But at least sort of be... I, I would have thought by Monaco, given how good he is around Monaco, I would have thought, yeah, he'll be he'll be the man in front. But he's now had two really, really rough weekends uh, with Spain and now this one as well that I think it's going to lead to a lot of questions. And Ricardo, he said himself, like he said, I know I'm not that slow after qualifying. So I just don't get how I'm that slow and how I'm that far off the pace. Not only sort of looking at the whole pack, but compared to, to Lando's times as well. And it's it's really difficult because we want to see the best drivers in the world performing at the highest level and showing everything they can and all of their qualities. And Daniel Ricciardo is so many of those. And he's such a great asset to the F1 grid. We love seeing those lick the stamp and send it moves that he does. And it's fantastic. But right now, we're just not seeing any of that honey badger kind of fighting spirit or anything. And after qualifying, his, his engineer came over the radio and was like, well, you're 12th, but good job, good progress, all good. And Ricardo mm-hmm. was just like, yeah, like whatever. Okay, I don't, it sounded like he didn't really care, to be honest. And I think it's something that, yeah, that McLaren, they're just going to need to sit down with him and really get on top of what these struggles are because he had a similar kind of adjustment period when he was at Renault for the first time. And it wasn't exactly setting the world on fire to begin with, but as he slowly bedded in, things got up to speed. I think that it's maybe a similar story here, but the issue is that Lando is being so good that Lando is completely outshining his team out right now he's got more than double the number of points he's got two podiums under his belt and Ricardo's barely made much of an impact this season so I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out but McLaren they've got to get to the bottom of this sooner rather than later because otherwise it's just gonna not only be costly to them in the Constructors Championship against Ferrari because right now you would say Leclerc and Science are much on a, on a much more of a level playing field than Norris and Ricardo are, which is crazy to think, to be honest. But um, And uh, yeah, they've just got to get to the bottom of it because otherwise Daniel's going to be getting really frustrated and really unhappy. And uh, it's important they do get on top of it. And I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will because it's a long-term project that both sides are really invested in. But it's uh, not been a good two weeks for Daniel Ricardo, not at all. As you said, he's looking quite deflated by it now, which is strange to see because we're not used to that that sort of side of Daniel. So I do hope that they manage to overcome it sooner rather than later because there's so much potential there. And in the pairing of Lando and Daniel, so much potential for the team as well. Let's move on to another team, a team that didn't have a good day at all, Mercedes. I mean, when it rains, it pours. Let's start with the pit stop, first of all. We often talk about how much of a well, well-oiled well machine Mercedes is, but 
their pit stops. There is something that they need to work on here because when they go wrong, they are painful to watch. JBL, can you just talk us through what exactly went wrong with that front right wheel for Bottas? Okay, so when Bottas came into the pits, wanted to switch his uh, his soft tyres for a hard tyre, all the other wheels went off perfectly fine. And then it was the uh, right front that was, was sticking and they couldn't get it off. And I assume this was something that happened when they originally put that tyre on the first time, but it, the the wheel nut got cross-threaded. And so when they put the wheel gun in to take it off, it doesn't just like unscrew. It is pretty much sort of embedded in the axle at this point because it's completely off the thread. And so by trying to unscrew it, you're putting the thread against something that it's not supposed to, to go against. It, it's just going to wedge its way in. And they were kept going at it with the gun and it was just sort of machining this wheel nut into you know the tire axle kind of interface if you like and so that wasn't that just wasn't coming off utterly painful to watch i just oh it was horrible but i mean i'm sure it was a lot worse for valtteri obviously who then had to retire just such a disappointment because valtteri was actually doing quite well this weekend given the fact that mercedes were struggling and you know he outqualified lewis and he got that P2 start because of Charles's retirement. And before we move on to Lewis's performance this weekend, I want to dig in a bit more to what we were seeing with Mercedes. Jess, why were Mercedes struggling so much at this track? As you've said, they struggle with these tight, twisty um, tracks. Is that all there was to it? And do you think that that same issue is going to pop up again in other races? Or do you think it's something that they can get on top of now after suffering so badly this weekend? Luckily for us as uh, race fans and pundits and journalists, or whatever we want to refer to ourselves as, um, certain tracks suit certain cars better. Um, but I guess the the other issue that's kind of more specific to 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 this race and 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 something that has popped up a couple of times this year is um, not being able to get the tires warmed up quickly yeah. enough. Um, so. Bottas was struggling with it earlier in the year. Lewis had it this weekend. Um, and it, it kind of, it manifests, I guess, maybe slightly harsher around Monaco um, when qualifying is everything. Uh, we would ordinarily expect uh, a poor qualifying from Hamilton to usually end up with a podium out of mm-hmm. nowhere um, because he is able to uh, to claw his way back up. But around Monaco, it's just not possible. Um, and so... They were hoping for a better strategy call. It didn't work out for him. So um, there's something about that car that just means that um, it it takes a it takes a lot longer for them to find the optimum temperature for the tires and to get the, me- the best performance out of it. So it's something that obviously, I mean, it's not a it's not a terminal issue. It's not something that we would imagine them will affect both drivers all the time throughout the season. It's probably just going to be a case-by-case basis, but um, uh, something that they can look at. Um, but I think the, the the biggest thing, I don't know if the guys saw this on Ziggo Sport or the uh, the press conferences that they... Um, they had with the with Hamilton. I know Luke, you were on you were on the Hamilton call uh, earlier today. But um, he, he Hamilton, it, it's in the heat of the moment. But he very much has blamed the team today for his troubles, um, and has said that it's the team has to look into it. There's nothing that he needs to look into um, particularly. It's just it's a bad weekend and it was a bad strategy call. So yeah, I don't think it's. There are there are definitely going to be um, tracks that the Mercedes team 
aren't the best car for. Um, and usually, I guess, in previous seasons, it's just been that they've been so far and above the best car on the grid that they've been able to uh, kind of get the results that they've needed because... Uh, even though if they haven't got the the best setup or the best um, the best car, but it's a lot close this year, so yeah. it's it's something that they're going to have to look into um, if they want to make sure that they're not um, kind of hemorrhaging points uh, at this point. Because um, yeah, they've got a real they've got a real challenge on their hands, and as we say, like we will we all totally expect them to come back. Um, I mean, Baku isn't exactly a track that. They've had a, like obviously they've had results there for sure, but it's not one that Lewis particularly likes. Um, it is one that Perez very much likes, so uh, that's going to be interesting next time out. Um, so yeah, I think it is just a case of Monaco just not being a good track, but that that tire warm up issue is something that they're going to have to look into. That's an interesting thing you picked up on there that Lewis mentioned about it being the team's fault entirely, almost. Luke, do you think that that is a fair comment after how things unraveled? Or do you think actually, no, there is there is some blame to take on Lewis's behalf as well there? To be very diplomatic, I'm going to quote Lewis and go with the whole, we win together and we lose together and we're in it as a team <laughs> and all of that. And that's very much kind of the message that Mercedes and Lewis will be putting out tonight. And yeah, we had, um, we had a post-race session with Lewis uh, about two and a half hours after the race finished and he was he was understandably not in the best of moods and honestly he doesn't actually normally do those sessions with us because if they finish in the top three the Mercedes won't do a separate media call because they're in the press conference so Lewis is always in the top three really so it was quite odd to actually be talking to him on zoom and to begin with he was quite sort of seemed quite flat and then weirdly I, I went to ask my question and then the connection went and we had about five minutes where it was sort of like can you hear me and the connection kept going and whatever and after that he seemed to lighten up a little bit and um, I think the overriding feeling from him was though that yeah the bottom line is Mercedes weren't quick enough this weekend that they need to understand why that was why they didn't have the car why he in particular struggled compared to Valtteri Bottas and basically to come back stronger from it and he said we can't afford more weekends like Monaco he, he said that it's yeah that that summed up I think where Mercedes are at the moment but he also said that he's not stressed about it he's not going to dwell on it he said that he's not going to sort of be pointing fingers or anything like that and to him it's very much a case of that he said he, he wants to go home he wants his mechanics and his crew to go home blow off some steam go back to the factory and go, right, let's pick apart this weekend. Uh, as JBL said earlier, sort of conduct that post-mortem on the weekend and work out where exactly things went so badly wrong and uh, and come back stronger from it. And I think that the fact that Mercedes always tend to do that, I think that's why maybe it's not sort of panic stations just yet, that Monaco is a track where, as we've touched on, they always tend to struggle and sort of have, have a bit of a bad weekend. I think this one has just been a disastrously bad weekend. I don't think there's any other way to put it. And I think that they just need to sort of get their head around it. Um, but yeah, there were some big failings today, but I think the team will openly put its hands up for that, take it on the chin, as Toto said, and um, and move on. But I think that it's it's dangerous when we see Mercedes sort of on the back foot and cornered because we kind of know what's going to happen next. We know, we saw that when they're fighting Ferrari all that time, that they just kept redoubling their efforts to get better and better and better. And I'm kind of thinking that, yeah, is this going to be sort of the pain and the hurt, hurtful weekend that really spurs them on to go and kick on and get control of this title race now? So I think that's going to be a really interesting narrative to watch in the coming weeks. 
yeah, they absolutely bite back when they do have setbacks like this. But yeah, difficult day to witness for Lewis. I mean, the fact that first of all, obviously we had the undercut not working on Gasly and then that awkwardly painful radio call of Bono giving him the heads up that actually, yeah, you're going to lose the position to Perez as well. It was just, you could feel his frustration over the radio. And I mean, yeah, I can understand where it was coming from. But more positively, Aston Martin had a really good day today. Seb finished P5 and he also got driver of the day, I believe, which is a fab result. He put in a really strong performance. They both, both him and Lance Stroll brought home some good points for the team. I want to say that we saw him going will to will with Gasly, but of course we didn't see that because the feed bizarrely um, went to a replay instead. Uh, but afterwards we did manage to dig out a replay and we saw him squeezing Gasly in and it got very close indeed. JBL was refreshing to see Seb up there again and coming home with a solid result, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And the reason I, because uh, I dug out the sort of like lap times for, because I wanted to originally look at why Hamilton was being un- uh, overcut yeah. by three other cars. It was simply because, you know, his lap times were seriously slow. His, his outlap was about two seconds uh, slower than what Gasly and Vettel were doing at the time. And so that sort of meant that he was jumped really, really easily. What is surprising is to see Vettel jumping Gasly as well out of the pits. Um and again, looking at those times, uh, Vettel, the two laps before Gasly pitted, Vettel was going quicker than Gasly. Uh, Gasly went and did his pit stop and then Vettel the lap after. And Vettel on that pit lap was a second quicker. So he found himself next to, to Pierre Gasly and uh, was able to uh, squeeze past. I assume he'd watched the uh, Formula E race a couple of weeks ago, saw Mitch Evans passing cars up towards Massey and thought, yeah, I'll have a go at that. And uh, he, he did it. Gasly said after the race that he thought, you know, if they were any more aggressive, they'd both end up in the harbour. But, you know, anybody who says that Sebastian Vessel can't race wheel to wheel probably needs to go and have a look at that because that was that was pretty... When we did eventually see it, it was pretty good. And it happens every year in Monaco because Monaco is the only race on the calendar where the broadcast direction is not conducted by F1 themselves. It's, I think Television Monte Carlo, whatever the, the, the um, company is called. But I think this year was just a joke. Like, it was terrible. And there's a meme yeah. going around at the moment of um, how Monaco, how um, the Monaco race directors would cover Spain 2016 when Rosberg and Hamilton crashed. And they kind of, <laughs> the car sort of goes side by side and they're about to crash and then it just pops up going, Lance Stroll. And it made me absolutely <laughs> crack up. And it's, it just happens every year. And I did, I did hear apparently, and I, and I had this verified, but that at one point FOM were looking at it and going, do we need to step in here and sort of take over control of it or whatever? Because it was that poor. I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know why Monaco does its own thing, but it just makes the spectacle at a racetrack where, as we've touched on, you're kind of working hard to make it exciting anyway. If we see the one like real close wheel-to-wheel moment on overtake not happen you really need to sort it out. So yeah, hopefully when we get back in 2022, that can be sorted because it was just um, as funny as the meme was. That's not what we want. There was mistakes like they labelled a uh, the the replay of Lando Norris waving, well, thanking Ricardo for getting out of the way. I think they labelled that as, as Vettel, yeah. didn't they? It was just like, guys, seriously. Like obviously, right, live sport television is not easy. It's not. It's not easy, but also it's kind of your job. 
So, yeah, you know, a, a few mistakes here and there, you can, you can like, let go. Like, you know, the whole, you know, the TV broadcasters never show Carlos Sainz, like, overtakes and that, that whole thing. Like, that is forgivable. Mislabeling a replay and not showing live action and cutting to... I mean, the amount of times they cut to replays that bore no relation to anything. Like, it wasn't even showing an off or any... It wasn't giving the, the, the fans anything. It was just, oh, look at them going over the chicane slightly. You know, that's kind of cool, slow-mo. Didn't add anything to the race enjoyment whatsoever. So, yeah, it was a pretty much, like, not not a good day for uh, for them. And, yeah, I would love to know what if it's in the contract or something. Because, obviously... Uh, Monaco has its has its own rules in terms of its uh, position on the calendar, uh, apart from everybody else. So um, it would be an interesting interesting to see if they get the job next year. Yeah, it was tragic. Um, I think that's the only way to describe it. I mean, <laughs> tragic, tragic, tragic. No, no stars. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the official review. Yeah, not no. Mm disappointing because like you said the the race doesn't give much anyway and if you're then taking away from the little that it does give you're really really working against us basically um so we did miss that overtake unfortunately but it was also a good day for Lance Stroll he finished in the points as well eighth and for Aston Martin this is the type of weekend that they've wanted and needed isn't it JBL yeah, exactly. And if you look at Lance Stroll's race as a whole, it was pretty much sort of like inextricably tied with Ocon's race. Um, so obviously Stroll started sort of, I think he was like P13 or something like that. Yeah. And he got himself up to 11th after the after the start, but he was stuck behind uh, the Alpine of Esteban Ocon for, for, for quite a while until, until Ocon stopped. Um, and then that gave Stroll an opportunity to sort of be free and go and express himself and try and get that... Um, that overcut but the thing is it took a lot longer than it probably should have done Stroll was on the hard tyre so he went very very deep into the race but then Ocon after starting on the soft tyre went onto the medium and so he was eating away at Stroll uh, and I think at one point he was about 13-14 seconds behind so there was no way that Aston Martin would have been able to stop Stroll at that point so they waited it out they waited it out until Ocon's tyres were beginning to fade um, to the point where Stroll was then making up time uh, and it the, the gap opened up to about 21 22 seconds and then they said okay Lance that's when you come in put him on the soft tire and he was so much quicker than Ocon by the end of the race he could have stopped again and still been ahead so uh apart from his uh faux pas at uh the swimming pool section uh I think he had a really really good race made that strategy work perfectly um it was sort of like under the radar but it was really really good yeah absolutely and I'm glad that Aston Martin had a good weekend Uh, because it makes a change and it's good to see the team actually bringing home some solid points. Behind Lance Stroll, we had Esteban Ocon and Antonio Giovinazzi. A good day for both drivers, again, finishing in the points. And Giovinazzi, who doesn't often get much of a look in, actually managed to pull an overtake on Ocon. He did lose the position in the end through pit stops. But considering that the Alfa Romeo is not a particularly strong car, he did a really good job today, didn't he, Luke? Yeah, brilliantly so. I think. I think that. Um, I think that Alfa Romeo, where they are at the moment, 
and I know how annoyed they were when they lost those points that Raikkonen uh, got the penalty for at Imola because this fight with Williams and Haas, really a couple of points here and there, that could actually settle it. And it may only be a point, but come the end of the season, if Williams can't get off the mark, if Haas can't either, then this result gets Alfa Romeo eighth place in the championship, which is, that's, that's something to... Like that's all they can really achieve this year. It's a fair play. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really, really good drive from him today. I think that yeah, he put good pressure on Ocon. Obviously, it's Monaco. It's always going to be difficult to overtake. But he 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 did a really, really decent job. And I think all the way through the weekend, Alfa Romeo just looked to be a step ahead of where they maybe have been in recent races. But also Giovinazzi looked to be a step ahead of Kimi Raikkonen as well. And I think mm-hmm. that. Giovinazzi, his his F1 career so far, it's kind of been, it's really hard to kind of understand. And I'm not, I'm not sure myself actually whether I'm thinking, okay, look, he's he's got potential, like just keep at it, keep at it, or no, he's had his chance, get someone like Callum Eilat or Robert Schwartzman in that sort of Ferrari held seat that the team has got there, uh, Tio Porcher as well, a Sauber Junior who won in Monaco and F2 this weekend as well. Um, and it's really strange, but then I see weekends like this and I'm like, no, he absolutely deserves to be here. He's doing a really good job and really outstripping the performance of what the Alfa Romeo should really be doing. So I think he deserves huge credit for that. And yeah, for the smaller teams, weekends like this, where you do sort of nab a point here or there, are so, so important. Actually, it could work out to be really crucial for Alfa come the end of the season. So uh, yeah, fair play to him. A really, really good driver, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And he finished ahead of teammate Kimi Raikkonen as well, which is another reason to pat himself on the back as well. Kimi finished P11, followed by Daniel, who we have, of course, already touched on. And then after that, we didn't really see much action from the people that followed. We had Fernando Alonso in P13, Williams cars, their 750th Grand Prix, P14 and P15. And then we had the two Hasses. We did see a move by Schumacher on Mazepin early in the race around the hairpin. But then Nikita Mazepin managed to finish ahead and get that place back. But otherwise, we didn't really see too much of that little pack, did we, JBL? What was quite a funny quip from from Russell post-race was um, that, you know, the Hasses were so far behind. He was like, oh, it's like where we were a couple of years ago, which I thought was a little bit of salt of the wound. Um, yeah, not a stunning 750th Grand Prix from Williams. Um, you know, have this big celebration and sort of end up nowhere, really. The Schumacher move on Mazepin, as you said, quite robust. Um, I, I'm very loath to draw comparisons to his dad, but it is very Michael-esque. I think there was a, a problem with Schumacher's pit stop, which meant... and. Um, the team sort of tried to, you know, they got Mazepin up ahead and it, that that was why the Hasses reversed positions. Um, but, you know, it's it's what you expect from those cars at the back. They're not... Williams might snatch a point in the season. I would really hope they do, but I don't, Hass know when they don't have the confidence, especially at a circuit like this where you need downforce, you need mechanical grip and the Hass VF21 has absolutely none of those things. Um <laughs> So unfortunately, it was going to be one of those races where you just, you know, turn up, get Schumacher's car fixed for half a million dollars, circulate around the track 78, 76 times, hope for the best and uh, yeah, come home again and learn nothing. Is that going to be your tech feature tomorrow, Jake? My tech feature is about all of the strategy that, that happened at this race because I've got nothing else to talk about. Quite looking forward to reading that, actually. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, now, it's an absolute spectacle off-track 
if you're lucky enough to be there and most of the excitement is on the Saturday and qualifying what do you think needs to be done to make the race itself more exciting or do you think that the rest of the weekend is enough to justify it and to let it get away with a not so exciting Sunday I think it is and I actually don't really see what can be done to be honest and Lewis Hamilton he has spoken a lot about Monaco the format needs to change and all of that but he always says oh but I don't really know the answer and I kind of agree with that like okay it'd be good to have some kind of change to make it a bit different to make things more exciting but I don't see what you do because say okay we've got the sprint races sprint qualifying coming up later this year say you did a race Mm -hmm. like that in Monaco that would I don't think solve anything that would result in a couple of changes off the first couple of laps and then you'd have drivers sort of being really safe to make sure they don't bin it in the wall and get out of the race completely for the rest of that sprint race so I don't think that would do anything reverse grids too big gimmicky don't think F1 could go down that route so I think we've kind of just got to accept that this is kind of where we're at with F1 right now to be honest and hopefully I mean this is the last time we'll have this generation of car at Monaco from next year we've got the new regs coming going to make it a bit different hopefully make the cars a bit more raceable able to go wheel to wheel more and hopefully that will make Monaco a bit more exciting hopefully that'll bring back some of the sort of added challenge and all of that um and I think that's really all we've got to hope on to be honest because I don't really see a lot more they can do I don't see any sort of layout changes or format changes or anything like that so I think we just got to accept Monaco for what it is in football, you get nil-nil draws every now and then. In F1, you get boring races. And Monaco typically does churn out a boring race most years. But that doesn't take away the amazing challenge it is. The fact it's such a brilliant spectacle weekend round. I think that it just, it's place in F1 we've got to recognise. And yeah, just to accept that it's going to be a bit of a dull one. There's nothing we can do about it. Okay, I think I'm on board with you. To be fair, I think that the other elements of the weekend do make up for it. And we do still see some brilliant driving around it. It's just not often wheel-to-wheel action. Before we wrap things up, final question, and it's for you, JBL. I just want to get an update on this flexi wing situation. Can you just talk us through what the situation is, what the issue is, and where things stand right now as we tie up Monaco Grand Prix weekend? Okay, so I think the the main thing to point out is uh, last weekend at the Spanish Grand Prix, we saw that uh, Red Bull had a very, what Lewis Hamilton called a very bendy rear wing. And so uh, on the straights, it it flexes back, it tilts backwards. Um, I'll go into the reason why it does that in a a little bit. But um, basically, the decision from the FIA is to have more stringent pullback tests and uh, load tests and flex tests from the French Grand Prix. Uh, the teams running the flexi wings uh, don't want that because they they think they found an advantage within the rules, which you know it passes scrutineering every weekend. So I think you know that's a fair cop. Um, so they don't want that, but uh, you know Formula One doesn't want flexi wings for for safety reasons. Um, and the teams like Mercedes and McLaren, uh, I think Aston Martin was another one, thinks, well, it will hurt us less. So can we have these rule changes earlier, please? Um, because they're going to be a real big advantage when you get to, to Baku. They've got that massive straight and it's going to deliver possibly an extra half second of lap time. Um, and the reason for that is because these cars get up to massive speeds. Uh, drag is a function of the square velocity uh, and to offset that, you flex the wing and then you get a lower drag coefficient and a uh, lower frontal area of the car. Um, so that means you have less drag and you can go first, faster in a straight line. Um, the reason we don't want them in Formula One is because uh, if you make the wings 
unrigid, they flutter, they develop a harmonic motion and they can break and uh, upset the car or you lose downforce and you go into a wall and have a very, very big collision. So um, that is the the reason the FIA, FIA doesn't want them and the teams, what reason the teams do want them is because it makes the cars go very, very fast. And there we have it. And we are awaiting a decision on what will actually happen in relation to this. I know that Toto has come out since and said that he doesn't think it's fair that we have this gap now where they can continue using them, um, even though there is this uh, unhappiness around them. So when are we expecting to hear whether these wings will have to definitely be shifted? They'll definitely... um introduce stringent more stringent tests at the french grand prix mm-hmm. whether we'll know whether the teams have wings that can meet those new tests or not is, is kind of anyone else's guess uh, but luke I'll, I'll pass over to you just in case you have any more on the sort of time frames and stuff like that well yeah just from a sort of news news hat on um we're sort of wondering about possible protests in baku and mercedes have been quite coy they've not said that they will protest definitely, but they've kind of not said that they won't. Uh, James Allison was asked about it in an FIA interview this evening and he said, I'm not saying anything. So I think that's going to be a storyline to watch because um, Otmar Safna, he explained it quite well the other day when he was asked about it. Um, And he said that if you want to make a wing more flexy, that takes time to develop and everything like that. But if you need to stiffen a wing, that takes no time at all. So again, he doesn't see the gap that they're taking to do this. Um, he doesn't understand it. He said that he thinks it could cost the teams that are running running them sort of a few tenths a lap. It's probably going to work more to the advantage of the teams running low rakes. So Mercedes, Aston Martin, again. Um, so obviously it's in their interest to get this done as soon as possible. So it could be that, yeah, I think what last year we had protests at all of the first four races, I think, and we had everything going on with Racing Point and the braking, brake ducts and everything. And it's been quite quiet, but I think Baku, there's a chance we could, get a protest lodged against these teams which could be really interesting but let's see when we get there but I think this is going to be a story that definitely rolls on uh, for another couple of weeks okay thank you for that guys keep an eye on autosport.com to see whether there are any updates on that and that is all from us on the Monaco Grand Prix thank you guys for joining me to chat As we've said, a swing in the championship and we'll see how this battle unfolds as the season progresses. Next up, we'll be in Baku and we'll catch you all again then. On Autosport Plus right now, you can read the following articles. Kevin Turner writes about why F1 must get rid of the point for fastest lap. We all know that Formula One wants to make its mark over in the States and you can read David Mausch's article on what it will take to get American drivers into F1. And for all of you MotoGP fans, you can also catch a brilliant article discussing all the signs that point to Rossi's MotoGP retirement. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com forward slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page. Then use the promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.